you, Christine. I want to invite you to open your Bibles today to Psalm 98. Psalm 98. At some point, in some house this morning, I am confident that there was this question that came up already. Um, Who's driving this morning? Are you driving or am I driving? Maybe a college student said to a roommate, I drove last week, you drive this week. Uh, maybe you texted your girlfriend or your boyfriend and said, are you driving or am I driving? Uh, maybe some 15-year-old with a new permit just walked into the kitchen this morning and announced, I'm driving this morning. And I can see on some of your faces that happened. <laughs> maybe a little dad panic here. I'm not concerned uh, quite as much this morning about who drove you to church, who drove you here today. I want to ask this question, um, what drove you here? What drives you to worship? What drives you to worship? In Psalm 98, we see that there are two worship drivers, two worship drivers. Psalm 98 is similar to Psalm 96. We began this summer in our Songs of Summer series, picking up where we left off last summer with Psalm 96, then last week Psalm 97, today Psalm 98, and there's a lot of similarity between 96 and 98 they both mention singing they are a call to worship but Psalm 98 has in its nine verses a vivid and clear picture of joyful worship Derek Kidner who has written a classic commentary on psalms that is referred to over and over again today as people talk about the psalms describe psalm 98 as exhilarating james montgomery voice a presbyterian pastor of 10th street presbyterian church in philadelphia for a number of years describes psalm 98 as effervescent and exuberant he goes on as a Stoic Presbyterian, to describe Psalm 98 as noisy, as loud. Psalm 98 is a psalm of excitement. It is a psalm of pure joy. It is a psalm that describes wholehearted worship. It is wholehearted worship by both God, by both humanity and nature it is the kind of psalm that makes me think of the words all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing look at psalm 98 and let's uh read this entire psalm it says verse one oh sing to the lord a new song for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. 
He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, with a lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. What drives us to wholehearted worship? What drives us to wholehearted worship? There are two drivers mentioned here in Psalm 98. One driver is celebrated. One driver is anticipated. One driver to worship is perhaps predictable. And one driver to worship is perhaps surprising. But they are both thought of as the psalmist as marvelous things in God's eyes. As marvelous things in the eyes of the psalm writer. And I would offer to you as marvelous things for you and I today who still live and breathe and sing this kind of song. One reason our personal or corporate worship doesn't come to a place of joy or exuberance is that we would find ourselves in a place of not valuing these drivers that are mentioned here in Psalm 98. A low value on these marvelous deeds, the lack of value on these marvelous deeds, perhaps a forgotten value on these marvelous deeds may find us going through the motions, checking the box, no exhilaration, not really remembering the moment, being somewhere else in our mind, forgetting the purpose of why we gather, and I hope through this study of Psalm 98 today, we, um, we are driven to worship. Before I talk about those two drivers, let me uh, look, look with me here in Psalm 98 and notice briefly the atmosphere and the actions described in this invitation to worship. There is a consistent atmosphere. There's consistency in actions described in the Psalms especially Psalm 95 through Psalm 100, these psalms that teach us about worship and corporate worship and gathering for worship. The atmosphere and action of worship begins in verse 1. This is, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. He's done marvelous things. Continue to read through this, you see that their atmosphere and actions involved in worship were singing. The very nature of the Psalm reminds us that there's praying. Two times we're told in this psalm that there was joyful noise. You may be reading from a different version of scripture than ESV and some other versions translate the Hebrew word there as shouting. Joyful 
noise, shout to the Lord, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Verse 4 and verse 6 refers to this joyful noise and this shouting before the Lord. You look in verse 4, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And then the second part of verse 4, break forth into joyous song. Why do we sing songs here that you might uh, say, that's such a, uh, that song is up. Why, why are we, what are we so excited about? Well, we take our cue right from Psalm 98 to sing joyous songs, joyous songs. And he says, sing praises. That Hebrew word is the same word that we get the very word psalm from, to sing praises. Again, verse 5, sing praises to the Lord. Then he begins to describe an atmosphere that uses instruments to praise the Lord. Two kinds of instruments are mentioned here in Psalm 98. Stringed instruments and wind instruments. Already this morning in our worship service, if you were to be here, you're just maybe in an evaluation mode, a questioning mode, and you think, why do we have that instrument? Why the flute? Why the guitar? And we would, again, take our cue from Scripture that he, he, he gives us instruction here, guidance here. When he says, break forth into joyous song and sing praises, sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, it's the description of a stringed instrument, sometimes translated harp, not, um, not like the... A massive size harp that someone would sit beside, but more the stringed harp that someone would hold and strum. He goes on and speaks not only of stringed instruments, but also of wind instruments with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. And that's the instruction, the guidance given to us as humanity. But then he dives into how nature itself worships and praises the Lord wholeheartedly. Verse 7, we see how nature worships. It's let the sea roar and all that fills it. And we would most often describe the sound of the sea, just the, the roar of the sea, the, the noise that comes from the sea. And then verse 8, let the rivers clap their hands. This week, perhaps in your neighborhood, you saw uh, rivers clapping their hands. I think in our, in our little uh, river haven there, my neighbor said nine inches of rain from last Sunday to this Sunday. And Barber Creek was Barber River. And uh, we stood at the crest of the hill in our neighborhood this weekend and there's one particular house where you stand at the top of the driveway, you hear the clapping of the river. You hear the rushing of the waters. You hear the roar of the rushing water. And we say, oh, that's science. It may be science, but God has created this world with a kind of science that lifts praise and worship to him. He says, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. I would imagine there's some person in this place who loves hiking so much. And you've stood at the base of a mountain, the base of a hill, or you've stood on the top. And you've said to yourself, it's almost like I can hear the mountains singing. 
That's the atmosphere. That's the action. That's the picture of wholehearted, passionate, exuberant worship. Notice the audience just briefly. There's just this one statement here that as you read through the psalm and you think, what's, what's this all for? Who's this all for? It's not just for our enjoyment. When we go on trips to see the mountains or to see the water, or we ride the waves, it's, it's not just for our enjoyment. Notice what he says, verse 6, with trumpets and the sounds of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king the Lord. The audience of our worship is our creator, is the, the king, the Lord, Yahweh. And today when we gather in this room, when Miss Christine plays her horn, we enjoy it, but it's for king, it's for Yahweh. When we pound the drums, we hit the keys, we lift our voices, it's for the king. It's for the Lord. Our worship is for Him. Our worship is to Him. Our worship is of Him. There's a family camp up on Lake Hartwell called Pine Cove. It's a family camp there that people come from all over the nation and they spend a week there with their kids and a lot of activities much like what you saw in the earlier video it just includes mom and dad and uh, we have um, uh, at least 10 of our people serving at Pine Cove there this summer uh, several recent high school graduates are there serving this summer as workers and counselors some who recently graduated and back for their second summer and and Carla and I were there yesterday. We just went to watch the closing session for the staff, for the workers. And all the families have left. They're getting ready for another group of families to come in this afternoon. And they bring about, those, about 30 uh, workers, counselors there together in a room. And we, we just watched them kind of debrief. And one of the things they, they did was they read evaluations to those workers from families who had been there. And so all those students, the work, student workers are sitting there in a, in a half circle. The leaders of the camps are going to read your evals. And they start reading and talking about what families have said about them. And, and you can imagine that there's a lots of gratitude. There's lots of praise. There's lots of appreciation. Thank you for investing in our kids. Thank you for investing in our family. We loved how they call names in those evaluations. And it's really, as a parent sitting there listening to other families talk about your son, it's a pretty high moment. And then they, they stop. And the leader said yesterday, he said, Okay, now, let's stop. Let's get quiet before the Lord. And let's transfer the glory. You're just staring, basking in self-praise. And the leader of the camp says, Let's transfer the glory. 
and they bow in prayer and they lift their hands and they just take time to say, God, all of this is for you. All of this praise, all this glory, all this appreciation, it's for you. And that's what Psalm 98 is teaching us right there in the middle of the, the noise, in the middle of the joy, in the middle of the experience of worship, in the middle of what it does in our own heart to say, don't forget to transfer the glory. Don't forget that your applause, that your words, that your singing, that your instruments, that it's for Yahweh, it's for God, it's about Him, for Him, it's to Him. Now, what are the drivers? That's the atmosphere. Uh, th that's the action. That's the audience. What drives us to worship? What are the uh, marvelous deeds? Well, I want to show you here in Psalm 98 the appraisal of these two marvelous deeds. Number one, it's salvation. It's salvation. What drives us to worship, what drives us to wholehearted worship is this first marvelous thing of salvation. He says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. What is this marvelous thing that he does? What is being celebrated? He says, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. What drives us here week by week by week must be the value that we place on our salvation that comes from God. He is a rescuing God. He's a redeeming God. He's a saving God. And the psalmist here is celebrating salvation. It's, it, it would perhaps be predictable. You might put it in a different word. I come to worship because I've been saved. I come to worship because of what's God, what God has done. I come to worship because I've been forgiven. I've co I come to worship because I'm looking forward to heaven. We, we, it, it's a description of what we have in salvation. Now the psalmist points back with this. The, the singer of this song would be thinking about events in their life as the house of Israel that God had brought about in saving them, rescuing them. We don't know exactly which point in time. It could have been the Egyptian captivity. It could have been the Babylonian captivity. But they look back and see there was a time where we were enslaved. There was a time where we were held in bondage. There were a time where we were held captive. But God rescued us. God redeemed us. God set us free. He brought us out. And the psalmist is celebrating this marvelous deed, this marvelous work of salvation. God did it. But the psalmist also points ahead. There is in verse 9, in verse 8 says, Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes. And he looks ahead, thinking about salvation, looking ahead. And what do you see when you look ahead from Psalm 98? You see the Messiah. You see the New Testament. You see the arrival of Jesus. 
and where you and I stand today, we stand there and we think about the salvation that has come, not for us physically, but the salvation that has come for us spiritually. And we join in this celebration of God's salvation because of his work in saving us from the chains of sin, the bondage of sin, the penalty of sin, the power of sin. And that drives us to worship God. Notice his power. He says his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. It is given to us that the, the work of salvation for us is a, is a work of grace for us. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. We don't stand in heaven one day and, said, and say, God, you and I did a good job on salvation, didn't we? No, we stand in front of God. We, we have opportunity today to stand in front of God today and not say, hey, God, I, I pitched in there to, this week and did my best. And you and I, we, we, we got it done this week. We come before the Lord in worship and we say, God, it's by your hand and it's by your arm. It's by your work that I'm saved, that I'm forgiven, that I'm right with you, that I've been set free from sin. It causes us to worship. It drives us to worship with exuberance, with exhilaration, with joy because it's his power. And look what he does. He doesn't just keep it to himself and Praise the Lord for most of us in this room. He didn't keep it just among the house of Israel. He said, the Lord has made known his salvation. Oh, Abby, you realize this morning that what you're doing is a part of what's going on in Psalm 98. That you're part of God's hand of making known his salvation to the whole earth. And through individuals and through people and through churches and even through creation, the, the glory is known of God. We see his salvation. He reveals it. He publicizes it. And notice also in his, in his salvation the consistency of what he does. He says in verse 3, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. This is the psalmist saying, you were that kind of God in the past and you're still, kind, you're still that kind of God today. And that's a part of our worship this morning. When you sit here in the life that you're living and you're thinking, God, I need you to come through. What we're celebrating in worship this morning is that the God of the past is also the God of the present and the God of the future. And he is consistently who he is. He does not change. He does not waver. He, 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 they, they show, they, they, the psalmist is communicating here. God's work according to his steadfast love and faithfulness as God remembering who he is. Probably a lot of you celebrate anniversaries this summer. Imagine the scene, husbands. On the night before your anniversary, you place something on the counter in the kitchen. 
The next morning, your wife walks into the kitchen before you. She walks to the counter and she sees something there on the counter that communicates happy anniversary. And then you walk into the kitchen. Now, she may have passed out. We don't know what could have happened. But maybe she's standing there and she turns around and she sees you. And she runs to you. And she jumps into your arms. And she starts saying out loud, You what? Remembered. You remembered. You remembered our anniversary. I love you. You remembered. Now, why did she remember? Did she look over in the chair and see you sitting there staring at the television and her saying, you remembered? No. She, rem she declares you remember because of your action. Because you did something. And what the psalmist is celebrating here is he looks around and says, God, I've, I've been saved. You've rescued me. And with worship, he says, you remembered. It's God's action that he's celebrating in worship. Let me ask you, what is your salvation worth? What is your salvation worth when we were dead in our sins? Guilty of sin, separated from God, in debt to sin, with no way to pay that debt. Jesus Christ went to a cross and he died on that cross and he paid the penalty of that sin. And by believing in him as the savior of our sin, we receive his righteousness and we're saved. Let me ask you this today. What is that salvation worth? Everything. Your whole heart. Your whole heart. And that's why when we gather like this, there is a, an expectation of heaven that we would be driven to worship with our whole heart because he has given to us the most valuable gift, salvation. Here's the second driver. The first one is celebrated. The first one is perhaps predictable. The second is anticipated, maybe surprising. The second driver is judgment. Judgment. Is it possible today that a coming judgment by God drove you here to worship? In verse 7 it says, Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes. Why would all of this be roaring in praise? Why would all that inhabit the world be roaring in praise? Why would the hills be singing together in praise? For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. I got to tell you, it's a little surprising to me. I rarely think I, I just, I rarely think of judgment 
being something to celebrate. In fact, our most, our, our, if we get a notice today that we need to report to the courthouse, we don't, our first reaction is not to clap. Our first reaction is, what? Or, uh-oh. Or, they found out. Or, they got a picture. Or, um, judgment is, is, is often raised in Scripture as being something to be feared, as something to be a deterrent, as something to be a watch out. Judgment is coming. Too many times I heard in my childhood from my mom, you wait till your dad gets home. And that made, she didn't have to say much more. I, I think about dad and mom, and I think this is pretty generalized, but dad was Old Testament, mom was New Testament. Does that make, does that make sense? <laughs> You won't remember anything else I said this morning. <laughs> you wait till your dad gets home. Can you imagine my mom's surprise if she said, you wait till your dad gets home. And I said to her, hallelujah, I can't wait till dad gets here. And she said, you're a smart aleck too, little kid. I mean, that's just the thought you would, you'd think there. So why would they celebrate judgment the only reason here that judgment would be celebrated would be because they had this understanding that things that were wrong in judgment would be made right and do you know that for the Israelite people many times in the Psalms when you read about judgment, it's not as a warning, but it's with a sense of anticipation. Because they, they, they're operating from a position of believing that they have been living in a world that has been ruled and run by sin. And there is coming a day where God in his righteousness will make all things right. C.S. Lewis, I, I, I give him credit for helping me see this. I, I just had never noticed this. About six years ago, I was reading here, and, and, and listen to how C.S. Lewis writes about this. He said, the ancient Jews, like ourselves, they think of God's judgment in terms of an earthly court of justice. The difference is that the Christian pictures the case to be tried as a criminal case with himself in the dock. The Jew pictures it as a civil case with himself as the plaintiff. The one hopes for acquittal are for pardon. The Christian hopes for acquittal or for pardon. The plaintiff hopes for triumph, for a reward. 
judgment coming in this psalm was actually good news because those who are living in two ways were living either believing that they were in a world where things were wrong and God was going to come judge with equity, fairness, or that when God came to judge, he would pardon. Now, when he says that he will judge the people with equity, what is that? It means that he will take things that are off and make them right. I think today, if, if, the, if the whole sermon this morning, I was right here, and for 30 minutes, I just kept saying to you, today as I stand in the middle of this stage, today, today as I stand right here, right in the middle of this room, and today, I know you're looking, and we're the same over here, and we're the same over here. And there would be some personalities in this room that would probably have to leave midway. I mean, you just could not take that. Why? Because you would be declaring in your spirit. You'd almost be standing and shouting, Pastor, you're not in the middle. What you're saying is not right. You keep, you're wrong. Imagine 30 minutes of that. There comes a time where I just walk over like this, and I say, now today, standing in the middle of the room, and we feel, <laughs> relief. When, when the psalmist looks here, he's living in a world over here where the world is, oh, no, we're right. We're, we're doing it right. We're treating you right. This is fair. This is the way it operates. This is good. And what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 98 is there's coming a day where God's going to move the standard to the middle. You're going to see. You're going to be judged not by what's off. You're going to be judged according to what's right. Now listen. The New Testament news is the only thing that can give us absolute peace in that because we realize that we often live over here we fall short of what is right and the only way that we're safe to be judged would be if somehow this rightness could be credited to our account and that's exactly what happens with Jesus when he dies for us and we believe in him and trust him his rightness is what we line up behind and God sees us and judgment is not something to dread judgment is something to celebrate because Jesus Christ is our righteousness and God's going to take care of setting everything else in its right place that driver brings us to worship with our whole heart. Now, it's
It's why we sing with our whole heart. It's why we're exuberant in our worship. I quoted a good Presbyterian earlier. Let me quote a good Methodist. John Wesley said, Sing lustfully. Sing lustily and with good courage. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of its being heard than when you sang the songs of Satan. There's your Methodist quote for the morning. And we look at this psalm, and the psalmist is saying, Sing a new song. Sing with your whole heart. Let the instruments proclaim his salvation, his judgment. And I think of the song right here at the end, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less To sing his praise than when we first began. Father, today, would you move in our hearts to make us wholehearted worshipers? Would you let us be driven to worship the glory of your salvation by the anticipation of judgment that you take care of, you cover for us, you Make things right and you make us right through your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, fill our hearts with glory. Let us value your grace and your mercy. Let us look forward to the day when we worship you in fullness. All of your majesty, all of your splendor. Let all the earth praise your name. In Jesus' name.